Welcome to the Parkcast series, episode 34, Burnout and Child Welfare Work. The Parkcast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This podcast outlines the phenomenon of burnout in child welfare, highlighting causes, development, and the impact on workers, clients, and organizations. The opening literature of many psychology courses that relate to health, so almost all of them, begin with an exploration of stress. Simply put, stress is an inevitable everyday experience whose severity is both in the eye of the beholder as well as objectively in the environment. For example, swimming in shark-infested waters is stressful, but maybe less so for a professional shark researcher. People are more or less affected by events depending on how severe the event is as well as how stressful they perceive it to be. Stress or demands are a good thing when they are a motivator to action, and a bad thing when they become chronic or exceed one's resources. This tipping point between stress, as good or bad, is where the phenomenon of burnout begins. Methods matter. One of the most dominant research methodologies is called correlational, comparing one thing to another by statistical analysis to see if they are related and measure the strength of that relationship. For example, is there a relationship between stress and performance levels? A perfect statistical correlation is either 1. Increasing stress levels are equally related to improved performance levels, or negative 1. As you decrease stress levels, you also decrease performance levels equally. Known as the Yerkes-Dobson Law, this is a generally good model for understanding the good and bad things about stress. However, since all people are different and correlation cannot equal direct causation, since there can be many factors involved, called confounds, that either explain the relationship or interfere with it, we do not know for certain that one thing is the result of another in this situation. What is burnout? Burnout is characterized in research literature as an individual response to chronically stressful professional conditions, comprised of three distinct elements, emotional, exhaustion, depersonalization, and personal accomplishment. Much of the literature on burnout comes from research in the human services fields, including child welfare. The most common model for measuring burnout is called the Maslow Burnout Inventory, or MBI and is generally accepted as a reliable and valid way to assess levels of burnout. Although there is some debate as to whether or not the MBI is the best tool to use when evaluating burnout, it is still the most common. It is important to note that burnout is a professional phenomenon, as its signs and symptoms are not globalized to other facets of an individual's life, in the same way that something like depression would be. Methods matter. In research lingo, the MBI is referred to as both reliable, it works every time it is used to measure the same phenomena, and valid, it actually measures what it claims to measure. This is similar to a good quality wristwatch. It measures what it's supposed to, validity, time, day after day after day after day after day after day. That's reliability. Thinking critically. Child welfare work is stressful. You haven't imagined it. It is well documented in research. Given that the experience of stress varies across people, organizations, times, and so on, how would you describe what you find stressful about your work? Has it always been this way? 
Do you find your stress levels vary? What makes them vary? Emotional exhaustion. Emotional exhaustion is the item most referred to when people report the experience of burnout and is also the most widely studied. Being somewhat self-explanatory, emotional exhaustion is the feeling of being chronically tired as the result of being immersed in demanding work that has an emotional element to it. More than simple fatigue related to task repetition, emotional exhaustion carries a behavioral component of avoidance, which is a deliberate coping strategy. Left unaddressed, emotional exhaustion leads to increased depersonalization over time. Depersonalization Once a person is feeling exhausted and seeks to avoid becoming more so, a way to achieve this is through cognitive strategies that detach oneself from those around you. Depersonalization is the making of one's clients as objects, such as cases or file numbers, rather than as people, as well as taking cynical, negative attitudes towards them. This is often a deliberate, protective strategy, as it gives a layer of emotional insulation between the worker and the people they are working with. This can be especially true when a child welfare worker is presented with emotionally overwhelming circumstances, particularly when things like the perpetuation of violence against children is present. Personal Accomplishment A critical motivator for many human services professionals is the idea that the work they are doing is making a positive difference in people's lives. The sense that this personal accomplishment is either reduced or gone is the third essential characteristic of burnout. It is important to remember that all three elements of burnout, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and personal accomplishment, are interrelated and affect each other as either buffers or as aggravators. For example, Burnout may not be as imminent for a worker who has very high levels of personal accomplishment, even though they are very high in emotional exhaustion. By the same token, a worker may be more susceptible to burnout if they feel low in depersonalization and are therefore not emotionally exhausted, but are simultaneously low in personal accomplishment if they feel they are trying hard but making no difference. Compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue, also known as secondary traumatization, is a separate but importantly related concept that requires addressing when examining burnout. Workers in human services can be traumatized in one of two ways, directly, primarily, or indirectly, or secondarily. Primary traumatization occurs when people experience events that are emotionally overwhelming and exceed one's perceived resources, for example, being attacked by a shark. Secondary traumatization occurs when one either personally witnesses a traumatic event such as seeing a shark attack someone else, or is privy to the event being described, such as listening to a shark attack survivor describe their ordeal. In both primary and secondary trauma, there are definitive symptoms that occur, psychological arousal, avoidance of the traumatic stimulus, and intrusive thoughts of the event. These symptoms, unlike burnout, tend to be displayed in all areas of the individual's life versus solely at work. The overlap, however, comes when the traumatization comes while performing work duties, for example, witnessing violent acts or hearing descriptions of violent acts. It is therefore very important to determine if one is dealing with burnout, compassion fatigue, or potentially both. Who experiences burnout? Risk factors and prevalence. The simple answer is that anyone can experience burnout if the stress they perceive is greater than their resources, and is chronic enough to push it over the tipping point referred to earlier. 
What makes human services workers, especially those who work in child welfare settings, especially susceptible to burnout, is a combination of who they are as people, interacting with the nature of the work itself. People who work with people tend to do so because they are generally empathetic and are drawn to professions that allow an emotional connection to occur. This is especially true of child welfare as a field, and is arguably the greatest strength of its employees. They care about what they do, are committed to the work, and care deeply about the people they are attempting to serve. This is also the Achilles heel that makes them more susceptible to burnout. Emotion work is draining and stressful, particularly when carried out over long periods of time. This is especially the case when one is forced to present positive emotions, such as empathy, dedication, and happiness, even when one is really experiencing negative emotions, such as cynicism, anger, or disgust. This can be the case when considering the interaction between worker and client, worker and peers, as well as worker and the organization. Why is the concept of burnout important in a child welfare context? Child welfare experiences one of the largest turnover rates of employees in any vocation, with burnout being one of the major reasons why. This is an incredibly serious problem, as it has immediate negative effects on the entire ecology. Altruistic, motivated workers who entered the field may elect to exit due to burnout, which is an obvious loss. High turnover rates have a profound effect on the clients they serve, as the necessary trusting attachment for good outcomes, particularly permanency, is disrupted. This inconsistency can actually mirror the types of traumas that bring children to the attention of child welfare in the first place. The numbers, according to research. 50% of child welfare workers will leave before the end of their first two years on the job. Annual turnover rates are between 10 and 20% and as high as 30 to 40%. 50% of child welfare workers report either current compassion fatigue or burnout. Agency cost to replace a worker is approximately $42,500. Average cost to replace a supervisor is $47,000. Dollar costs to multidisciplines, such as courts and police, for turnover and child welfare are incalculable, as is the cost to affected families. Thinking critically. Percentages reported in research are all subject to variation, since they are from differing agencies, counties, countries, urban and rural settings, and so on. Temporal effects, for example, a study done in the 1990s when compared to one done in 2010, will also make a difference due to things like legislative changes, values of currency, dramatic events of the time, and so on. It is also important to think critically about burnout research, including its methodology. For example, like the MBI, burnout rates come from self-report data, asking human services workers to disclose if they have negative, cynical attitudes towards their clients and agencies, if they like their jobs and if they are motivated to help people and feel they are effective at it. How might this present a problem in determining exact rates of burnout? Turnover also has an impact on the workers who persevere and remain in the field, as they become the workers who must assume the caseloads of those who exit due to burnout. This in turn makes the remaining workers more susceptible to burnout as they now have an increased workload more emotional intensity from disrupted clients, and so on. These feelings become more acute if the time it takes to hire and train new workers is prolonged or happens frequently. Even before workers decide to leave their jobs due to burnout, there has already been damage done. 
Avoidance behaviors such as absenteeism, missed appointments, disengagement, as well as the increase in cynicism and loss of productivity all add up to negative outcomes. This can continue for years at a time, depending on the individual, their agency, their role, and the type of work that they do. Thinking critically. What about the workers who do remain in child welfare? Are they more resilient to burnout? Is being more resilient a good thing? Perhaps just more depersonalized? Is there an optimum balance? How does this affect outcomes for children and families? Person and environment and goodness of fit. A strong theoretical lens that runs through social work practice is called person and environment. Person and environment asserts that burnout is a byproduct of both the individual and the context they are in. As discussed earlier, child welfare workers tend to exhibit vulnerabilities that make them susceptible to burnout and perform work duties that may have more of a negative impact on them than other people. What is also necessary to examine are the organizations that house these two elements. Considering that burnout is the result of chronic stressors, what part do agencies, employment settings, or work cultures have to play in the prevalence of burnout? A theme in the organizational behavior literature tends to take one of two perspectives. Workers blame the agencies for perpetuating conditions that lead to burnout, and agencies blame the workers for not building up individual coping strategies to the inevitable stressors that occur at work. The following information gives a generalized overview of how burnout may develop in the person and the environment. It is critical to remember that these factors are interactive. Combinations of these factors can make burnout happen much more quickly, slowly, or not at all, depending on how they occur together, in whom, and where. Positive personal factors, positive task or duty factors, and positive organizational factors include anything that reduces emotional exhaustion, anything that reduces depersonalization, and anything that increases personal accomplishment. Negative personal factors, negative task duty factors, and negative organizational factors include anything that increases emotional exhaustion, anything that increases depersonalization, and anything that decreases personal accomplishment. Thinking critically. Put yourself and your agency in the personal, tasks, and agency factors described above. Are there any indicators that need to be addressed across these different domains? One thing is certain, the actual practice of child welfare is relatively static and unchanging. Due to its very nature, this work will most likely always be stressful. Therefore, what can and must change to prevent burnout is the person, the environment, or preferably both. Research indicates that even the most resilient person will experience burnout in a non-supportive organization, just as great organizations can have employees that aren't proactive in their own well-being. Methods matter. A vast amount of quantitative, empirical, and statistical research seeks to identify the magic bullet of factors that will cure burnout. While it is beneficial to identify factors that correlate highly with burnout, either positively or negatively, they may not be generalizable due to individual differences, such as gender, age, race, job title, and so on. Looking ahead, part two of this podcast will look in greater detail at the individual vulnerabilities and agency characteristics that contribute to the development and perpetuation of burnout. From there, we will address intervention strategies at the individual, organizational, and policy levels. 
You have been listening to the ParkCast series, episode 34, Burnout and Child Welfare Work. At parkcanada.org, you can access part two of this podcast series or download the written literature review format. The ParkCast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the ParkCast series, or Practice and Research Together, please visit www.parkcanada.org. Stay up to date by following us on Twitter at PartEIP. That's P-A-R-T-E-I-P.